0: Hi there, and welcome to a special edition of Pickleball Problems. This is the show where we talk to you about various challenges that you might be having on the court as pickleball players, and how you go about solving them. I'm your host, Mark Renneson. But in today's episode, we're doing things a little bit differently. We recently launched a new project called Pickleball Coaching International, or PCI for short. It's a website, which you can find at pickleballcoachinginternational.com, that's devoted to helping pickleball instructors at all levels become better at what they do. Later in the show, I'll say more about PCI and why we think it's great, but for now, I want to focus on this episode and today's special theme. Today's episode of Pickleball Problems is part one of a three part series all about solving problems from the perspective of instructors. There's so many problems that pickleball coaches can face. They might have a bad venue or poor weather conditions, a disruptive or disinterested student, having players at vastly different levels, clinic groups that have odd numbers, clinics that have too many people or not enough people, players who think they're better than they actually are, instructors who are trying to make a mark on the pickleball world but having trouble doing so, and the perennial question, should I get certified or not? So the list goes on. There's lots of problems that instructors face. And I want to use these episodes to unpack some of these challenges. So sit back, relax, and let's see if we can solve some pickleball problems for coaches. Hi, Mark. What's the best way to organize a lesson with five players on a single court? I can't begin to tell you how wonderful it is when your numbers end up just perfectly. When you've got exactly four people per court for your lesson, it's so much easier to run. But there are times, sometimes more often than not, that for one reason or another, you don't have the perfect group of four. It sounds like the coach calling here has five, so I'll address that directly, but you'll see how similar solutions can be used for any number of extra players. There are two main approaches when dealing with five people. The first is to run the drills and games as though there were just four people, but to find a way to rotate that fifth person in and out. Here's an example. Let's say you want to observe the players play a real game. You know, it's the start of the lesson and you want to see what they look like in action. If you had just four players, it'd be simple. Have them play, and after a predetermined amount of time, say 10 minutes, get them to stop so you can share your observations. You can tell them about what you saw. With five people, you can do the exact same thing, but after certain intervals, say every two minutes or every five points, have one person take a short water break. Just switch them in and out. You can use this rotation method in drills as well, where after a prescribed period of time, one person gets a little break. Or if you prefer, you can give that person a task, say, see how many volleys they can hit in a row against a wall before it's their turn to get back into the drill. So essentially, you're just running a four-person lesson, but rotating that fifth person in and out frequently. And it's not always the same person that's rotating in and out, right? You take turns so everyone spends as much time playing as everyone else and as much time not playing as everyone else. But it's often easier to do drills or play games with an even number of players, Which brings me to the second approach that you can use when dealing with five people. That is to make yourself, the instructor, the sixth player. By playing in, we call this, as the sixth person, you ensure that everyone has a partner all of the time. You can divide the court into three lanes if you want, or have one team face off against the other for a few points, and then have one whole team rotate out, while one whole team, including you, rotates in. Having six people in the clinic can make rotations a little easier, And you playing in has the added bonus of giving the players a chance to play against the coach, which they often really like. The caller is asking specifically about five players, but the same approaches can be used if you had seven players. Let's say you had two courts. You could have six people doing a drill or game at any given time, and then have the seventh person be the one who takes that break, right? The water break or does some other activity, and then they get to rotate in while someone else rotates out. Or you could put yourself in to make an eighth player, to even things up. I do have one warning, however, when it comes to playing in. I've seen a lot of times where the instructor gets so carried away in the drill or the game that he or she then loses focus about their main responsibility, which is coaching, not playing. This happens either because they just get carried away in the activity, or because of their limited playing skills they really need to focus on doing the drill or the game correctly. And if they really have to focus on doing the drill or game correctly, it becomes much harder for them to focus on their players. So this is where playing skills matter. The more skilled player you are, the more likely that you can do the drill or game correctly without having to spend very much mental energy doing it, which means that you can still observe all of the other players and give them feedback while they're doing the drills. Even if you're playing in, you've got to remember that you should still be easily identifiable as the instructor. If someone was walking by, they should be able to tell that you are the coach even though you're playing in. And so that means observing your students, that means leading the group, that means giving feedback, that means having that coach presence. And if you can't do that and play at the same time, then you probably shouldn't play in. So the better your playing skills, the more likely you'll be able to act as a player and a coach simultaneously. Hey Mark, I have a question. How much should you charge for group and private lessons? Um, just wondering if there's like sort of a standard out there. Thanks. This is a difficult question. I'm going to be honest with you. While pickleball isn't totally the wild, wild west anymore, it's not long ago that it was, at least in terms of paid coaching. I too see a huge range of prices out there from people who are literally giving away their coaching for free to people who charge several thousands of dollars for a weekend camp. Like any emerging industry, you're going to see a lot of variation on pricing as people try to figure out the market. So here are a few things I would suggest you do to figure out what price is right for you. Take a look at the other people in your geographical area that are doing the same thing. What are your competitors charging? That should give you some idea of what the market is likely to be willing to bear. You should also think about what you bring to the table. Do you have extensive experience as an instructor, or is this brand new territory for you? The stronger your background as a coach, the more value you're likely to offer and the more money you can charge. Now, this isn't always true. Sometimes you see people who have no coaching experience who decide that they should go in and they should be paid $150 an hour. We'll see. You should also consider what your expenses are. Are you paying rental fees for the courts that you use? How about equipment? Have you had to buy balls and buy paddles for your students? What are your travel costs? How about advertising costs? These things should all factor into your pricing decisions, especially if you're trying to run this as a business that makes a profit or, at minimum, not losing you money. So I've been skirting around this issue a little bit, not giving you a very precise answer, and that's because talking about money can be tricky. If you go online and you look at the best known coaches out there, you'll see that they're charging about 20 to $40 per person per hour for group lessons and significantly more than that for privates. Me personally, it fluctuates a little bit depending on a number of variables. If you go over to thirdshotsports.com, you'll be able to see under our clinic section what we charge for the different programs that we offer. One final suggestion I'll offer is to get feedback from your players about your pricing after the fact. After all of our clinics, we send a survey, we send a follow-up email to people that includes a survey, and we ask them to fill it out, and they can do so anonymously. Tell us about the clinics, what you liked, what you'd like to see different, etc. And one of the things that we ask about is value. Given the price that you paid for this, how much value did you get? Was it good value for the money? And we give them different ways that they can answer these questions so we get a clearer picture. And if people are saying, oh, well, no, it was way too expensive for what I got. Luckily, that doesn't happen very often. Then that tells me something about the pricing. If people are saying across the board. Wow, this is exceptional value. There's probably an argument to be made that we are undercharging. In fact, I think that we are sometimes undercharging for the most part. Um, But at the same time, one of the other values that I have is that I don't want people to be priced out of the lessons. I don't want them to be so expensive that only a segment of the population can afford to take them. So that might also be something to keep in mind too. You don't be that yeah. close to it. Yeah, it. I hear that you are a big sister now, is that true? Yes. Yeah. What kinds of things do you think that you have to teach your brother how to do? Um, swim and jump off the side because I can jump off the side now. He has to learn how to run and skip. How to do cartwheels. He has to learn how to cook food. Hey, do you think you can teach him how to play pickleball? I can. I'm really good at teaching pickleball. Not everyone can be a naturally amazing pickleball coach. That's why we created Pickleball Coaching International, the world's best online resource for pickleball instructors and coaches. And if you use the promo code PROBLEMS at the checkout, you'll save $10. So head over to pickleballcoachinginternational.com. Pickleball Coaching International. We make good pickleball coaches even better. See you later, Alligator. Hey there, Mark. Uh, My question is, I rent out space at a local tennis club, and my pickleball lessons typically take place after open play. Each week, there are always some stragglers from the open play group, and they hang out on the benches at the side of the court and watch my lesson. They aren't actually on my court, but they are close enough that they are able to see and hear everything that I say. I'm kind of new to coaching. Is this acceptable behavior? Thanks, Mark. You didn't say whether these people are hanging around so that they can get some free coaching from you, or whether they're just kind of absentmindedly transitioning from their own playing time to the rest of their day. Here's what I do in this situation. I'll get my lesson up and running and have the people warming up or doing a particular warm-up drill, making sure they're focused, and then I'll, as I'm rotating around, I'll just sort of wander over to those observers. I'll say hi, I'll be friendly, I'll introduce myself if I don't know them. I'll even ask them how their pickleball was that day. I'll also ask them if they have any questions about the lessons. Maybe I've got a business card in my pocket, just in case. If they do, then I'll answer them. And if no, they don't have any questions, then I'll say something like, hey, I don't know if you know this, but... People taking lessons are often quite self-conscious because, you know, they're working on new things and they often fail and they struggle. And so having an audience to watch them can sometimes be really difficult for them. And in my experience, usually these people, these onlookers, will almost always get the hint. They're not meaning to make people uncomfortable. They were just, you know, watching, observing. They were curious. They were chatting with each other. They didn't want to go to lunch or wherever they're supposed to go next. They weren't doing this to try to make people uncomfortable. And so when I bring it up and mention that it might make people uncomfortable, almost always they'll get the hint, they'll pack up and they'll head out. Occasionally, you'll have people who don't, who will say something like, well, I'm not on your court, well, this is a public place, I'm allowed to be here, whatever. And then you have to get a little more firm and it gets uncomfortable. Maybe you even have to get management involved, something. But that's always the exception, not the rule. For the most part, if you have those stragglers that you don't really want hanging around unless they're paying you for an audit pass or something so they can watch, just go over and gently say, hey, some of my students are kind of self-conscious. Would you mind taking your conversation, you know, just down the road a little bit, right? Or to the cafe or whatever your place is like. Almost always that'll work. In the beginning, we gave you unlimited power and asked just one thing in return. Just one thing. Just keep it in what were we thinking mistakes were made lives were lost but this time just relax we've got you covered selkirk power control no compromise hey mark i'm uh, trying to decide whether i should get certified to teach pickleball it's expensive and time consuming so i'm wondering if it's worth the investment How important is it for me to get certified? I get this question a lot. Before making the investment to any sort of professional development, I think it's a good idea to ask what you're looking to get from it. Be clear on what you're doing and why, and then assess whether one program or another will deliver for you. I'm a firm believer that there's a need and a desire for instructors to do more learning. As pickleball grows and there's more people teaching and there is, frankly, more competition for instructors, coaches need to get better if they want to be successful. And this is good, I think, because it incentivizes people to improve their own teaching skills, improve their knowledge base, if they want to go out and stand out as effective coaches. That said, I'm not crazy about the certification programs that are currently on offer. I wrote about this in an article called Why I'm Not Certified to Teach Pickleball. I'll link to it in the show notes so you can read that if you like. In my experience, I find the current programs as they exist too rigid in their approach. And lacking some of the key components that I think strong educational programs should offer. Incidentally, that's why I designed Pickleball Coaching International. Because I found that even people who were certified were coming to me and saying, Hey, I need more resources. Yes, I have the certification. Yes, I have the certificate. I've got the business card. But I don't really feel comfortable that I know what I'm doing out there. I don't really know what I should be teaching or why. And so PCI was born out of that desire from instructors who are certified or not to help provide these educational tools, right? PCI doesn't certify you. There's no test. There's no exam. You don't have to travel. It's all online, but it really is educational. And so I think this provides an environment, PCI, that is, that's flexible, that's student-centered, and frankly, more comprehensive than some of the other things that are out there. So why should you get certified? Well, one reason that people like to get certified or think about it is liability insurance and the certification programs that are out there are something you can opt into to get that insurance. And that's definitely a good idea if you're coaching regularly. And in many venues, they will only rent space to you if you have insurance. It's an annoying expense. No one likes to pay for insurance, but it's increasingly an important one and one of the costs of doing business. Also one more shameless plug at PCI, we offer liability insurance. You can get it through us at a discounted rate. So why else might you get certified beside the insurance? Well, you might like saying that you're certified. You might like having that on your business card. You might like going to a dinner party and saying, yeah, I'm a certified pickleball coach. And I think that's great. If that is how you feel that I want that certification, I want that stamp of approval, then you should 100% go out and do it. It takes time, it takes effort. You've got to pass a skills test. You've got to pass a knowledge test. Those are things that you will work hard for. And I know lots of people that are really proud that they did that and they should feel proud. So there are a few different reasons people might want to get certified. They might want to be with a group of other people, other instructors that they're learning with together. They want to increase their knowledge or their understanding. They want to get insurance. And the certification programs as they exist might offer that, and you may be happy with that. What we're providing over at PCI, whether for people who are certified already or who are not, is a totally different project. It's about education, not certification. So if you're interested, head over to pickleballcoachinginternational.com and maybe you like what you see. For this question, we're doing things a little bit differently. I run something on Facebook called the Pickleball Instructor Forum. You can check it out if you're interested. And one of the questions someone asked lately had to do with retention. Not retention of students, but retention of skills. What they noticed was that when they taught their lessons, their players would work on what they wanted. But as soon as the coach's back was turned, the next day at Open Play, for example... The players were no longer working on the things they had done in the lesson. Let's say, for example, you're trying to get your players to use third-shot drops more often than they currently do. You teach them all about the mechanics of a good drop. You present them with a clear target they should be aiming for. You even spend lots of time doing drills based on drops. Whole clinics, nothing but drops. Drop until you die or something like that. Everything looks great, right, in the clinic. (laughs) They come away. You ask them if they feel better about their drops. They nod. They say yes. And then the very next day, you see them playing in a rec game. Drop-in pickleball, open play, whatever. And guess what? They aren't using those drops at all. This can actually be really demoralizing for a coach. You put in so much time and effort and you thought they had it. And then next thing you know, they're not using it. So what's going on? Well, in my experience, when players don't try to implement what you have taught them in a lesson... They do so for one of two reasons. One possibility is that they lack confidence in their ability to execute the new skill. They might believe that they're on the right track, and they get it in theory. And in the grand scheme of things, things are going the right direction. But for now, they might think that they aren't yet ready to bust out their new skill in a game situation. They don't want to embarrass themselves as they struggle through a new skill. So they rely on what they know best, even if that means halting their progress for the meantime. The alternative, and I think more common explanation, is that you as the instructor didn't do a good enough job of selling the topic. And by that I mean convincing your players why what you're teaching them is important and worth doing. Working with adults means that you are likely to get students that cooperate in the drills you're doing, in the activities you're doing, even if they don't fully buy into the rationale behind it. It's different with kids, right? If kids don't get it, if kids don't buy into it, they'll let you know but the adults still often be obedient. So they're being polite when they perform the tasks without believing them to be important. But as soon as they're outside of that lesson, as soon as they don't need to be polite or deferential to you as the instructor, they will do what they think is valuable, regardless of whether it matches up with your ideas or what you said in the last lesson. If they don't buy it, they won't do it. So what do you do? If your students aren't following your instructions it's because they don't yet have confidence in the new skill, then they need your encouragement. Invite them to take more lessons or suggest they set up a training opportunity. At the very least, empathize with their situation. Tell them that you know it's hard in rec play when people are watching, when there's a consequence for missing that drop, for example. That it's hard to try those new things. Empathize with them. But also try to set up rec play as an opportunity to test out these new skills in real life situations. And in grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter that much if they make a shot or miss. What matters is their effort to try to get better. But if your students haven't bought into your vision of what's important and why, then you need to do a better job of selling the topic. Make sure that you yourself are crystal clear on why what you're teaching matters. Why do third shot drops matter? What's the point of them? By the way, it's not about getting to the net, which is what we often think. Drops are about neutralizing your opponents who are looking to pounce on a high ball. And by playing a slow low ball, a drop, that limits their ability to do damage. That's what the drop is about. Anyway. At the top of this episode, I mentioned a new project that we're working on, Pickleball Coaching International. It's now available, it's now online, it's now live. And in one of the sections of the site, I did a whole audio series called Selling the Topic in 15 Seconds. And what I did is I made audio files that are less than 15 seconds long, because you don't want to bore your students. And in those 15 seconds or less, to clearly articulate why certain things matter. I covered a whole range of topics, including... Why the setup matters, why you should serve and return deep, why you should play drops, why you should play drives, why you should avoid the middle of the court with your return of serve, why you should use spin. These are just some examples. And the hope with doing this audio series was that instructors, who are members of Pickleball Coaching International, that they then are more empowered to go out and teach their lessons, really sell those topics well, so that their students are working on those things, not because the coach said so but because the players themselves really buy into why they matter. Once your students understand why what they're working on is important, they're more likely to do it, whether you're watching them or not. And we'll leave it there. As I said at the start, this is the first in a three-part series of episodes devoted to coaches. So be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can join us for all the latest episodes. Also, remember that if you head over to PickleballCoachingInternational.com and use the promo code PROBLEMS, you'll save yourself $10 off any membership. Thanks to everyone for listening. If you have a problem you'd like me to tackle, coaching or otherwise, record a voice memo on your phone and just simply email it to me, mark at thirdshotsports.com. All right, thanks for listening and see you next time.